Hello and welcome to the third installment of AZ Law on member-supported SunSounds of Arizona and SunSounds.org. I'm your volunteer reader, Paul Wyke, and we'll be exploring Arizona's legal and judicial system. Our primary focus in this new program is on articles about opinions from the Arizona Supreme Court, but we are also keeping our eyes open for interesting decisions from Arizona's lower courts and from the federal courts. This edition is a good example of that. Uh, we have three items in this installment. Original reporting on a case seeking to set a sped up special election for the late John McCain's U.S. Senate seat. Also, the Arizona Supreme Court's opinion regarding marijuana extracts that came out a few weeks ago. And a column by Stephen Lemon's Bisbee blogger, once again, Clobber's Cochise County Prosecutor, a First Amendment case as well. So plenty to get to in this on-demand edition or installment of AZ Law. Let's get to it. The first is an article that uh, we reported on and broke the story on uh, on Thursday of this past week. Appeal filed on non-decision to force earlier special election for the Arizona Senate seat. Here's the article. An appeal was filed Thursday night in the constitutional challenge to Arizona Governor Doug Ducey's ability to control the late Senator John McCain's seat until November of 2020. There has not been a decision by Judge Diana, Diane Humetua, but plaintiffs call it an effective denial of their challenge. Oral arguments were held on April 12th, and it was taken under advisement at that time. Today's appeal, or Thursday's appeal, follows an unusual round of letters and responses filed last week, as the plaintiffs have grown more and more impatient. AZ Law and Arizona's Politics previously reported on the constitutional challenge to the Arizona Vacancy Law. At that point, Senator John Kyle was serving at the governor's request. Kyle then resigned, permitting Ducey to appoint Martha McSally to the seat until a special election would be held in 2020 to fill the last two years of Senator McCain's term. Senator John McCain passed away on August 25th of 2018. The Arizona plaintiffs challenge the constitutionality of the vacancy law and say that the election must be held as quickly as possible. This round of of out-of-the-ordinary filings began last week when Judge Humetua entered an order noting that she had received a letter from plaintiffs' counsel that she would not consider. Her order was this. The court is in receipt of a two-page letter from plaintiffs' counsel Mr. Pursoon dated June 7. This letter is not styled as a motion or a notice and is written on counsel's law firm's letterhead. Moreover, the letter was not filed on the docket but rather sent to chambers at the court's public mailing address. The court will not consider the arguments or requests made therein, nor will it consider any request that is not properly filed pursuant to applicable federal and local rules. Therefore, it is ordered the court will not take any action on the written correspondence. If action is required, counsel shall file an appropriate motion or notice. And that was on June 11th. And later that day, plaintiffs did file a motion for a status conference as a way of further nudging the judge to make a decision. And Governor Ducey's attorneys promptly opposed it. Two days later, the judge has not taken any action on that motion for a status conference or the underlying issue, the motion for a preliminary injunction, in that subsequent week, that apparently prompted Thursday's appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals 
of an effective denial. The plaintiffs cited a Ninth Circuit opinion from 1992 that involved a well-known Arizona case. The Sierra Club's battle against the University of Arizona regarding the nearly extinct Mount Graham Red Squirrel and telescopes on top of that mountain. In that case, the appellate judges did express quote-unquote dismay over the trial court's failure to schedule a hearing on a motion for an injunction. And that was an update appeal filed on non-decision to force earlier special election for Arizona's U.S. Senate seat. Next, we turn to an Arizona Supreme Court opinion filed on May 28th that has gotten a lot of attention, public attention, news attention around the state and around the country, actually. It was a unanimous opinion by the Arizona Supreme Court in the case of State of Arizona versus Rodney Christopher Jones. And that case involved marijuana, the Medical Marijuana Act and extracts from the marijuana plant. And Vice Chief Justice Brutnell wrote the opinion. Let's read it now. Rodney Christopher Jones appeals his convictions and sentences arising from his possession of hashish, a form of cannabis resin. The Arizona statutes arguing that the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act immunizes his conduct. That's what Jones argued. AMA defines marijuana as including all parts of any plant of the genus cannabis, whether growing or not. Consistent with this language, we hold that AMA's definition of marijuana includes both its dried leaf or flower form and the extracted resin, including hashish. In March of 2013, Jones, a registered qualifying patient under AMA, was found in possession of a jar containing 1.43 grams of hashish. Jones was charged with possession of cannabis and possession of drug paraphernalia, the jar. As defined by Arizona's criminal code, cannabis is a narcotic drug. And the statute reads, consisting of the resin extracted from any part of a plant of the genus cannabis and every compound, manufacturer, salt, derivative, mixture, or preparation of such plant, its seeds, or its resin. Joan moved to dismiss the charges, arguing that his use was allowed under AMA. Relying on the case State v. Bollander, the state argued that AMA does not displace the criminal code distinctions between cannabis and marijuana, and that AMA only provides a defense for the use of marijuana from which the resin has not been extracted. Agreeing with the state, the trial court denied Jones's motion, and after a bench trial, Jones was convicted as charged and sentenced to concurrent two-and-a-half-year prison terms. The Court of Appeals affirmed Jones's convictions in a divided opinion, holding that AMA did not immunize his possession of cannabis. We granted review to determine whether AMA immunizes cannabis, a recurring issue of statewide importance, and we have jurisdiction under the Arizona Constitution. We review questions of statutory interpretation de novo because AMA was passed by, and that means uh, they don't have to, they, they do it newly. They don't have to accept the uh, lower court's opinions on it. Because AMA was passed by voter initiative, our primary objective is to give effect to the intent of the electorate. The most reliable indicator of that intent is the language of the statute, and if it is clear and unambiguous, we apply its plain meaning and the inquiry ends. 
and they cite a case that they decided a couple of years earlier. Passed in 2010, AMA permits those who meet statutory conditions to use medical marijuana. AMA does so by broadly immunizing qualified patients for their medical marijuana use and by carving out only narrow exceptions from its otherwise sweeping grant of immunity. Specifically, AMA provides protection for the registered qualifying patient's medical use of marijuana pursuant to the law, as long as the registered qualifying patient does not possess more than an allowable amount of marijuana. AMA defines marijuana to mean all parts, quote, all parts of any plant or of the genus cannabis, whether growing or not, and the seeds of such plant. End of the quote from the statute. The Court of Appeals majority determined that voters only intended to immunize the use of marijuana as defined by the criminal code, meaning the dried leaves or flowers of the cannabis plant, but not the use of cannabis, the resin extracted from the marijuana plant. And let's skip. We start with the statutory language. Because AMA specifically defines marijuana, we apply the statutory definition and look to neither the criminal code nor common understanding. Indeed, AMA's definition of marijuana stands on its own. It neither cross-references nor incorporates the criminal code definition. AMA defines marijuana as all parts of the plant. The word all, one of the most comprehensive words in the English language, means exactly that. Part means an essential portion or integral element, or as relevant here, one of the constituent elements of a plant or animal body. And they went to the dictionary for that. Taken together, all parts refers to all constituent elements of the marijuana plant, and the fact that the resin must first be extracted from the plant reflects that it is part of the plant. The state nevertheless argues AMA does not apply to resin or its extracts. Again, we disagree. The state law immunizes the patient's medical use of marijuana, defined to mean the acquisition, possession, cultivation, manufacture, and they... they uh, italicized manufacture, hint, hint, use, administration, delivery, transfer, or transportation of marijuana or paraphernalia relating to the administration of marijuana to treat or alleviate a registered qualifying patient's debilitating medical condition. And they note that they're the ones that italicize the manufacture. AMA does not define manufacture, but it commonly means to make into a product suitable for use. And they use the dictionary definition for that as well. AMA anticipates not only that dispensaries will produce marijuana in edible form, but also by a method, but also that patients will consume marijuana by a method other than smoking. Taken together, these statutes indicate AMA's intent to allow the manufacture and preparation of parts of the marijuana plant for medical use, including extracting the resin. We are likewise unpersuaded by the state's argument that, that the statutes limit marijuana use to dried flowers. The, law, the AMA provides that a registered qualifying patient may not possess more than the allowable amount of marijuana. And it provides that the allowable amount of marijuana is two and a half ounces of usable marijuana, which is defined as the dried flowers of the marijuana plant and any mixture or preparation thereof, but does not include the seeds, stalks, and roots of the plant, and does not include the weight of any non-marijuana ingredients combined with marijuana and, pre and prepared for consumption as food or drink. The state argues that by conjunction, 
These provisions limit marijuana use to drive marijuana use to dried flowers. But AMA's language protects the registered qualifying patient's medical use of marijuana, not just the use of the dried flowers of the marijuana plant. It provides the definition of marijuana and nothing in the code alters its meaning. Rather, by its own language, the limitations pertain only to the amount of marijuana that the patient can legally possess, not the type or form of marijuana that one may possess and use. And again, they go to the dictionary. Accordingly, we declined to follow the case that the state asked us to follow. I've never seen so much use of italics in, in a court opinion either. Uh, the AMA supports this view. First, it authorizes dispensaries to dispense marijuana. It includes no reference or limitation to usable marijuana. We decline to adopt an interpretation that presents contradictory definitions and allows the dispensary to dispense marijuana, all parts of the plant, but only allows the patient to receive usable marijuana, the dried flowers of the plant. Second, in dispensing marijuana, the dispensary is required to list, quote, how much marijuana is being dispensed, close quote, and to determine whether the amount to be dispensed would cause patients to exceed their two and a half ounce limit. The law thus supports our interpretation that the limitation refers to the quantity of marijuana that may be dispensed, but not its type or form. The state contends that such a reading will result in the allowance of two and a half ounces of cannabis, equivalent to far more than two and a half ounces of dried flowers and leaves. We disagree. In defining what AMA protects, the statute defines marijuana broadly. In defining how much marijuana may be possessed, however, the statute defines the weight more narrowly. The statute provides that the allowable amount of marijuana is two and a half ounces of usable marijuana, which the subsection 15 defines as the dried flowers of the marijuana plant and any mixture or preparation thereof. AMA's weight limitation is based on two and a half ounces of the dried flowers of the marijuana plant, regardless of the weight of the product manufactured from those flowers. As stated above, AMA extends to manufactured marijuana products using extracted resin. Under the section, these products are mixtures or preparations of the dried flowers of the marijuana plant. We therefore read AMA to mean qualifying patients are allowed two and a half ounces of dried flowers or mixtures or preparations made from two and a half ounces of dried flowers. A plain reading of the relevant provisions compels our conclusion that AMA protects the use of marijuana, including resin, so long as the patient does not exceed the allowable amount and otherwise complies with statutory requirements. Consideration of AMA's purpose and the ballot materials support this plain reading. AMA appeared on the 2010 ballot as Proposition 203. The accompanying ballot materials stated that the proposition's purpose was to protect patients with debilitating medical conditions from arrest and prosecution for their medical use of marijuana. Proposition 203 was intended to allow the use of marijuana in connection with a wide array of debilitating medical conditions, including cancer, glaucoma, um, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, 
or ALS, Crohn's disease, and agitation of Alzheimer's disease, including relief from nausea, vomiting, and side of other side effects of drugs used to treat debilitating conditions. It is implausible that voters intended to allow patients with these conditions to use marijuana only if they could consume it in dried leaf or flower form. Such an interpretation would preclude the use of marijuana as an option for those for whom smoking or consuming those parts of the marijuana plants would be ineffective or impossible. Consistent with voter intent, our interpretation enables patients to use medical marijuana to treat their debilitating medical conditions in whatever form best suits them, so long as they do not possess more than the allowable amount. Separately, the state argues that AMA is preempted by the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act, the federal, uh, the federal laws, the Controlled Substances Act, and the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. But the state did not raise this argument before the Court of Appeals or in its petition for review to this court, though the state urges us to nevertheless consider the issue because it is one of statewide importance. Uh, we previously rejected a preemption challenge based on the, uh, the CSA, the Controlled Substances Act, in another case, and the state offers no persuasive reason to revisit that decision. As to the FDCA, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, the state's preemption argument is undeveloped, and we thus decline to consider it. And so, in conclusion... They go to Roman numeral three. In conclusion, we hold that the definition of marijuana in AMA includes resin and by extension hashish, and that immunizes the use of such marijuana consistent with AMA. We reverse the trial court's ruling denying Jones's motion to dismiss. We vacate the court of appeals opinion and we vacate Jones's convictions and sentences. So an interesting and interestingly blunt opinion by the court. Next, we turn to an article by former Phoenix New Times columnist Stephen Lemons. This column from Thursday was published on New Times's website titled Bisbee Blogger Once Again Clobbers Cochise County Prosecutor. An interesting article. Let's read it now. Independent newsman David Morgan has delivered another wallop to the snout of the Cochise County Attorney's Office with a rolled-up copy of the U.S. Constitution. On June 13th, a three-judge panel of the Arizona Court of Appeals ruled in favor of the former publisher of the news site, the Cochise County Record, and against Cochise County Attorney Brian McIntyre's effort to force Morgan to censor his Facebook group that's called Cochise County Courts, Crime, Jail, Justice, and Politics. As I explained in a March piece for Phoenix New Times, McIntyre wanted Morgan to unpublish a link to the full unredacted grand jury transcript involving a local homicide from a report Morgan filed in October of 2017. McIntyre claimed Morgan was in violation of an Arizona statute mandating grand jury secrecy. In his defense, Morgan cited the First Amendment and U.S. Supreme Court precedents forbidding such prior restraint, save in the most extreme circumstances. In March of last year, a lower court found that Morgan had obtained the grand jury transcript lawfully from the attorney in the homicide case and that, yes, the First Amendment did shield Morgan from censorship. The court denied McIntyre's request for a preliminary injunction against the publisher. McIntyre, the Cochise County attorney, appealed. But the appeals court 
also left McIntyre holding an empty bag of rocks, informing him that his request did not meet the legal standard for a preliminary injunction, which includes demonstrating a strong likelihood of success on the merits of his case. Writing for the majority, appeals court judge Philip Espinoza chided the county attorney's office, noting that it has not demonstrated how a violation of the grand jury statute would authorize an injunction after the protected material has been made public. As for the other statutes involved regarding the release of grand juror names and images of victims, there was one photo of the murder victim attached to the grand jury transcript, they regulate the conduct of government officials, not of private citizens, Espinoza wrote. Technically, McIntyre could choose to pursue the underlying civil case and gear up for a lower court trial on the merits, but that would risk the possibility of the county attorney ending up a three-time loser at the hands of an amiable amateur who has no formal legal training and yet represented himself, both in his pleadings and during the initial two-day hearing in Bisbee. Morgan also wrote his own response to McIntyre's appeal and was planning to represent himself if the high court granted oral arguments, which it did not do. The county attorney also could tempt fate by bringing a criminal charge against Morgan, but when I reached McIntyre by email recently, he wisely seemed inclined to let the matter slide. He wrote, at this point, I don't believe criminal charges for the prior event would be appropriate. We will evaluate any future dissemination of grand jury materials on a case-by-case basis. The county attorney could offer no estimate to the amount of time spent on the Morgan affair, but justified it as an attempt to protect the integrity of the grand jury system. Asked about the affront to the First Amendment, which he has sworn to uphold, McIntyre was judicious in his reply. The First Amendment does have recognized limitations, he stated. We were attempting to enforce those limitations in the least restrictive manner. He denied that as a result of the case, there was now a new office-wide policy dictating that defense counsel must agree to protective orders before receiving copies of grand jury transcripts and other evidence. Such orders, he said, would be sought on a case-by-case basis, usually when a child sex crime is involved. Morgan was clearly elated by his appeals court win when I contacted him by phone recently. I reminded him that this was the second time he had correctly predicted that he would prevail before the bar of justice. I got lucky again, he laughed. It's not really luck, but sometimes it's hard to feel that way because it is hard to have complete trust in the system. Granted, this second time around, the American Civil Liberties Union of Arizona and the First Amendment Clinic at Arizona State University's Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law filed a joint amicus brief in support of Morgan on behalf of the ACLU, the Society of Professional Journalists, and the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. Both Kathleen Brody at the ACLU and Greg Leslie, executive director at ASU's First Amendment Clinic, are to be congratulated for stepping into the breach. Though, of course, it was potentially Morgan's keister on the line if the outcome had been different. Back before Morgan had won his first round in Bisbee, I became aware of the case and called and emailed a couple of prominent First Amendment attorneys in town, attempting to elicit their pro bono assistance to Morgan's cause. Both know me. Maybe that's why one of them never responded. The other fellow, whom I also will not name, scoffed at the idea of coming to Morgan's defense. Morgan had published crime scene photos and other scurrilous material. As for putting a whole grand jury transcript online, that simply isn't done, the lawyer told me. Though I shouldn't have been, 
I was flabbergasted. The history of the First Amendment is rife with cases involving courageous individuals who defied the government's rules and then had the intestinal fortitude to stand pat when pressured by the state. Morgan is one such individual, and you would be hard-pressed to find any other journalist in this state, particularly those who dwell beneath the shade of corporate influence, to push the boundaries as Morgan has done in this instance. That is something this country needs more of, not less. And that was the First Amendment column by Stephen Lemons, headlined Bisbee blogger once again clobbers Cochise County Prosecutor. And with that, we reach the end of the third installment of AZ Law. Your comments and suggestions to make the program better are, of course, welcome. You can contact us at info at sunsounds.org. I'm your volunteer reader and Arizona attorney, Paul Wyke, thanking you for tuning in and urging you to keep listening to member-supported Sun Sounds of Arizona. Sunsounds.